Attention, all troops. He's alive. Alive. Welcome to the Rapnolis. In the summer of nineteen eighty four, me and my good friend went to see a double feature of The Last Starfighter and Cloak and Dagger. We loved both movies. A couple of years later, Cloak and Dagger started showing up on HBO in heavy rotation, and I don't think we passed up an opportunity to watch it. It influenced us to the point where we started to come up with spy games that we could play. First, it started with us coming up with secret plans and then all these very over-the-top I guess sort of role-playing events in the yard with friends, but that wasn't enough for us. At around this time, a mall had opened up in my hometown. It wasn't easy to get to. You had to kind of cross a highway, but it was there. Now, this was big news for my town, and it was big news for us because we had never had anything like this in our town or even in a town close by that we could walk to. So it is no surprise to me that this new mall would enter into our Cloak and Dagger gaming, since there was a cool mall in Cloak and Dagger. So what we would do is try to find all the places that you weren't supposed to go, like the back hallways, the areas where they were taking out the trash, all that stuff, and we would try to get there. These forbidden areas were not actually as forbidden as we thought they were, but it was very exciting for us because we thought, well, we're not supposed to be here and we're going to get in a lot of trouble. I remember one time walking past a security guard as I was walking down the hallway and thinking to myself, okay, don't run, just keep walking, pretend you own the place, what's your story going to be? He didn't even look at me. He thought I was there for some reason, whatever, probably there to visit somebody. Still, it was a lot of fun, and there was all sorts of cool stuff back there in these very stark, fluorescent-lit hallways that led back to trash compactors and rooms filled with circuit breakers and all sorts of cool stuff. I don't think we ever had a goal in playing this game. It was just sort of, let's explore and pretend that something is going to happen to us, and we must have looked pretty foolish to anyone who saw us standing next to the door waiting for someone to open it so you could put your foot in and then sneak in. It helped to make Cloak and Dagger that much more special, and when I watch it now and I see Henry Thomas's character walking through the Windsor Park Mall in the movie, I can't help but think of all those great times I spent at the mall in my town, running through the back hallways, throwing stuff in the trash compactor, and then having lunch at the McDonald's that they had opened. It's a shame that malls don't seem to be on the rise, and I bet you the ones that are are probably better locked down than they used to be because this was a lot of fun. On today's show we're going to talk about Cloak and Dagger, the 1984 movie that inspired all our mall play. We'll talk about the movie that inspired it, the people who helped create it, the stars of the film, and we'll throw in a few surprises here and there. We have an info-packed episode ahead of us, so without further ado, let's start the show.
Cloak and Dagger was released as a double feature with the film The Last Starfighter on July 13th, 1984, and then was released on August 10th, 1984 by itself. It was directed by Richard Franklin and written by Tom Holland. It had some great actors, but primarily it starred Henry Thomas and Dabney Coleman. You might not know this, but it is actually a remake, or at least a film inspired by another film. And the film it is inspired by was the 1949 film The Window. The Window is a film noir that was based on the short story The Boy Cried Murder by Cornell Woolrich. This film was directed by Ted Tetzlaff for RKO Pictures. It was filmed on location in New York City on the Lower East Side and tells the story about a young boy, Tommy Woodry, played by Robert Driscoll. You might associate Driscoll with the Disney hits of the 40s and 50s. He was in Song of the South, Treasure Island, So Dear to My Heart. He was also the animation model and provided the voice for Peter Pan. He was so popular and well-regarded that he received an Academy Juvenile Award for Outstanding Performance in Feature Films in 1950. Unfortunately, his life went downhill pretty quickly, and he didn't live past his 31st birthday. But more about The Window, it's a story about a boy who cries wolf too much and nobody believes him. One night, he is on the building's fire escape and sees two neighbors, Mr. and Mrs. Kellerson, kill a sailor in their apartment, and nobody will believe him. These neighbors find out that the boy saw the killing and plan to take him out when his parents are away. The movie is dark, has great film noir elements, and a real gritty look. If you like older films and you like Cloak and Dagger, I suggest you check it out. Cloak and Dagger was directed by Richard Franklin. Richard Franklin is an Australian director, probably best known for this film, and Psycho 2, which was the first of a couple of sequels to the 1960s Psycho. He also directed FX2, The Art of Illusion, with Brian Brown and Brian Dennehy. But if you want to see a Richard Franklin movie that is kind of interesting, you should see Link, which was a British horror movie made in 86 that had Terrence Stamp and Elizabeth Shue in it. And it's about a murderous orangutan. Why that is not more popular, I have no idea. Today's show is brought to you by our local bus line. Trying to escape from murderous spies? Get on the bus. Convenience on wheels, how great it feels to relax and ride the bus. Love those buses. So a little bit about the plot of Cloak and Dagger. Suggest you see it before listening to this. There will be some spoilers. Henry Thomas plays Davy Osborne, a young boy who lives in San Antonio, Texas, with his father Hal Osborne, played by Dabney Coleman. Hal Osborne is having problems raising his child alone. Davy, being lonely, immerses himself in the fantasy world of Cloak and Dagger, which is a spy game that is both a video game and role-playing game. His hero is the character Jack Flack from the game, and he attempts to live out his spy fantasies in his own world. 
His imagination is so powerful that Jack Flack takes on living form in his own mind, and Jack Flack is played by Dabney Coleman. Like in The Window, Davy is out doing an errand for his friend Morris, played by William Forsythe, who owns the local game shop at the mall, and he sees a murder. Right before the guy who gets murdered dies, he gives a cloak and dagger video game cartridge to Davy, and Davy, of course, tries to tell people. Nobody believes him. The cartridge has high-tech plans on it. When you see these plans being shown through an Atari 5200, which is where this game is supposed to be played, there's no way the Atari 5200 could show this sort of stuff. The movie gets complicated as spies are trying to take out Davy, get this cartridge back. People get killed. Davy starts to get fed up with Jack, and in the end, Davy's father steps up, and the two have a better understanding of each other, and because of this, Davy no longer needs Jack, and the film ends. I still get a little teared up when I think about poor Jack, much like Winnie the Pooh. He's an aide for a kid needing to grow up, and then once the kid doesn't need him anymore, he's discarded. That just gets to me. A little bit about the cast of the film. Henry Thomas played Davy Osborne, Thomas is actually from San Antonio, Texas, probably best known for E.T., but also had a role in Psycho 4, The Beginning, and in 1994's Legends of the Fall. Dabney Coleman played Jack Flack and Hal Osborne, another Texan, one of my favorite character actors, appeared in 9 to 5, War Games, Tootsie, You've Got Mail. More recently, he was in Boardwalk Empire. He's just one of those guys who always stands out in whatever role you put him in. Very talented, Dabney Coleman. Michael Murphy played Rice. He constantly works. Tons of stuff. A frequent collaborator with Robert Altman. Christine Nigra played Kim Gardner. Probably best known for her role as Lindsay on the TV show Out of This World. The lead role in Out of This World was actually originally written for her, but at the last minute was given to Maureen Flanagan, and the role of Evie was written for her as compensation. Has done some TV work mostly probably best known for Out of This World. Cloak and Dagger is her biggest film. John McIntyre played George McCready with his real-life wife, Jeanette Nolan, who played Eunice McCready. They're the villainous older couple. Both are prolific actors who appeared in a tremendous amount of work. It is neat to see them together in a movie. Eloy Casados played Alvarez, probably best known for his work in Walker, Texas Ranger, as Sheriff Sam Coyote. He also played Enrique in the animated series King of the Hill. He was recently in the films Bridesmaids and Frost Nixon. Tim Rosevich played Haverman. Ton of TV work. Interesting fact about him. Tom Selleck was his college roommate at the University of Southern California, and he played professional football for the Chargers, Oilers, and Eagles. William Forsythe played Morris. Great character in that movie. The man really wanted his Twinkies. He's been in a lot of work, too. My favorite role of his was in Raising Arizona, where he played alongside John Goodman. Robert Doki played Lieutenant Fleming, also worked with Robert Altman, but did a lot of TV work in The Fugitive, The Man from Uncle, Star Trek Deep Space Nine, Streets of San Francisco, The Outer Limits, the list goes on and on. And finally, Shelby Leverington played Marilyn Gardner, another great actress with a lot of credits. On TV, she was on Highway to Heaven, L.A. Law, Dynasty, Marcus Welby, in film, besides this, she also had a small role in the film Dutch, a retroist favorite. Now with a little bit more information about one of these stars is Vic Sage with another Why Should I Know This Person?
Hi friends, Vic Sage here with this installment of Why Should I Know This Person? And this time we are taking a look at Cloak & Dagger co-star Michael Murphy. Michael George Murphy was born on May 5, 1938 in Los Angeles, California. Michael secured his first of many TV appearances in 1963 with a two-episode turn in Combat. He next starred in the 1964 TV movie Nightmare in Chicago, which happened to be directed by Robert Altman, scored by John Williams, and co-starred Andrew Duggan, Carol O'Connor, and future Too Close for Comfort star Ted Knight. Michael next appeared in The Man from UNCLE and a three-episode stint in the medical series Ben Casey. He appeared in Hogan's Heroes and 12 O'Clock High before landing his first film role in the 1967 Elvis Presley feature Double Trouble. That same year, he appeared in Countdown, where he co-starred with James Caan, Joanna Moore, Robert Duvall, and once again with Ted Knight. Countdown also happened to be directed by none other than Robert Altman. This would not be the last time the two worked together. Michael would appear in six more Robert Altman feature films. They were That Cold Day in the Park, MASH, Brewster McCloud, McCabe and Mrs. Miller, Nashville, and Kansas City. Murphy has continued to make TV appearances and has had roles on series such as Bonanza, Beretta, Hard Copy, Tanner 88, which was directed by Robert Altman, L.A. Law, Law and Order Criminal Intent, Tanner on Tanner, Tilt, This is Wonderland, The Bridge, and The American Experience. Other films that Michael has appeared in of notable interest include What's Up Doc, Phase 4, Manhattan, An Unmarried Woman, The Year of Living Dangerously, Salvador, Shocker, Batman Returns, Private Parts, Magnolia, and X-Men The Last Stand. This has been Vic Sage with Why Should I Know This Person, signing off until next time. Thanks, Vic. The music for Cloak and Dagger was assembled and composed by Brian May. Not Queen's Brian May, but the Australian film composer Brian May, who passed away in 1997. Probably best known for his scores for Mad Max and The Road Warrior. The Cloak and Dagger soundtrack, which you could still find online for purchase, has 19 tracks on it, and it's real kind of fun, has a little bit of a Hitchcock element to it, but since it's youth-oriented, it moves a little faster and is a little lighter. Definitely worth picking up if you like movie soundtracks. The film's opening weekend by itself was on August 12, 1984, on 1,147 screens, and it would gross $2.8 million on opening weekend. In total, it would make $9.7 million. Now, with a little bit more information on how the film did and what was running at the same time, is Doug McCoy with another Also Ran. Hey, I'm Doug, and this is Also Ran. What also ran in theaters alongside Cloak and Dagger in 1984? Who did Davy and Jack Flack have to share the popcorn-strewn multiplexes with? Well, lots and lots of other great movies. 1984 was one of the best years in cinema. Even the non-blockbusters were busting blocks that year. There was Splash, Starman, Star Trek III, Breakin', Night of the Comet, Ice Pirates, and Ninja III The Domination, not to mention instant classics like Ghostbusters, Gremlins, Karate Kid, Police Academy, Indiana Jones and the Tip of Doom, Beverly Hills Cop, Footloose, Romancing the Stone, and lots of others. If we look just at the month of August, though, 
Just as the films that were in theaters at the same time as Cloak and Dagger, we find Wolverines, Dirty Cops, Jungle Women, Adventurers, and Cannibalistic Humanoid Underground Dwellers. That month saw films like The Philadelphia Experiment, Red Dawn, The Adventures of Buckaroo Banzai, Tightrope, Dreamscape, Sheena, Bolero, and one of my personal favorites, Chud. That's a competitive enough environment right there. So how did Davey and Jack handle that competition? Well, they were way down there. They came in 81st for the year. But considering what a great spy Jack Flack was, and how much we still love him today, that low number might just be a cover. So I'm Doug, and this has been Also Ran. Thanks, Doug. The thing that The Last Starfighter and Coke and Dagger have in common is that a video game is critical to the plot of the film. There was an arcade version of Cloak and Dagger that was supposed to come out for the Atari 5200, but was never completed. Now with a little bit more about this video game and its history is Rob O'Hara with his segment, Talking Tech. Talking Tech. Greetings and salutations, retro listeners. This is Rob Flack O'Hara with another installment of Talking Tech. In this segment, I'm going to talk about the arcade game known as Agent X. In early drafts of Cloak and Dagger, the secret plans that Davy Osborne discovered were originally planned to be hidden inside an Atari Donkey Kong cartridge. At the same time Cloak and Dagger was in development by Universal Pictures, Atari was developing a spy-related arcade game titled Agent X. When the two companies learned of the other's project, Atari agreed to change the name of their game from Agent X to Cloak and Dagger, and Universal Pictures agreed to prominently feature this new Atari game in their new film. For Atari's part, minimal changes were required. Only 25 Agent X arcade games had been assembled and released into a test market, so all Atari had to do was change the cabinet's marquee and the game's title screen, and Agent X was magically transformed into Cloak and Dagger. Getting the game into the movie took a bit more work. Atari wanted to feature their latest console, the Atari 5200, in the movie, but the 5200 version of Cloak and Dagger had yet to be completed. To give the illusion that it had, mock boxes for the game were created for the store shelves in the film, and Cloak and Dagger labels were printed and stuck on top of other Atari 5200 games. To give the illusion in the movie that Davey was playing the game, a Cloak and Dagger arcade game was brought to the set, and the machine's video was fed into the television set that the Atari 5200 was supposedly hooked up to. In the movie, while Henry Thomas held an Atari 5200 joystick and pretended to play the game, the game's developer, Russell Dahl, actually played the game while standing just off-screen. In late 1983, the gaming industry began experiencing what we now refer to as the Great Video Game Crash. During this gaming drought, Atari laid off half of their programmers. One of those programmers, Dave Comstock, was only halfway done with the Atari 5200 version of Cloak & Dagger. That project, along with several others, including the Atari 5200 version of Tempest, whose box also appears in the movie, were scrapped. To date, no home console version of Cloak & Dagger has ever been made. This has been Rob Flack O'Hara with another installment of Talking Tech. Talking Tech. Thanks, Rob. The filming of this movie 
took place in San Antonio, Texas, which is Henry Thomas's hometown. The neighborhood around where the Osbournes lived was in the inner loop of the suburb Alamo Heights. The mall scenes were shot at the Windsor Park Mall, and the scenes at the Japanese Sunken Gardens, Riverwalk, and Alamo exteriors were filmed on location. The interior of the Alamo could not be filmed, since you could not film inside the Alamo. I had the opportunity to go to the Riverwalk in San Antonio a bunch of years ago. It's really kind of neat, but the whole time I was just recreating the magic of Cloak and Dagger in my head. I can't be the only one who does that. When Cloak and Dagger was running on HBO, I remember taping it, and I hauled that tape around with me for years. I think I even forced people in college to watch it with me. Maybe I was trying to get them in the mood to play the role-playing game Top Secret. Can't remember. Now you don't have to tape it off television. The film is available on DVD, and it's pretty cheap. So if you're a fan, you should really get a copy. If you've never watched it before, please do. It is a great film. Films that are about going through difficult times and growing up, forcing to make difficult decisions, are strong triggers of nostalgia. And I said I've compared Cloak and Dagger to Winnie the Pooh, and while that seems like a far reach, I don't think it's too far off. I've never liked the idea of abandoning these wonderful things from our youth, hence this podcast blog and stuff. So if Jack Flack helped you through some tough times... Maybe pick up the DVD, watch it, or maybe head to your local arcade, see if they have a cloak and dagger machine. I've spent some time with Jack Flack recently, and we've gotten to talking, and I can say he does miss you, so get reacquainted. Maybe introduce him to your friends or your kids. The great thing about Jack, he's willing to make friends with just about anyone, as long as they have a great imagination and an appreciation for immersing themselves in the cutthroat world of fantasy espionage. Thanks for listening to the show. For more retro fun, you can drop by the website at www.retroist.com. You can follow me on Facebook and Twitter. I'm at facebook.com slash retroist.com and twitter.com slash retroist. The music you hear in the show is by Peachy. If you have musical needs, you can email Peachy at peachy at retroist.com. The music you're hearing now was actually put together by Rob Flack O'Hara many years ago. Shared it with me. I'm very happy that he did. You can find more stuff from Rob at the website or at his own website, robohara.com. Thanks, Rob, for another great talking tech. Thanks to Vic Sage for another great Why Should I Know This Person. Find Vic always on The Retroist. If you have any feedback for him, you can email him at vicsage at retroist.com. Thanks to Doug McCoy for another great Also Ran. You can find Doug at The Retroist website every week and at his website, authordougmccoy.com. Thanks for listening to the show, and I hope you have a great weekend. Jack Flax says always keep a gun loaded. Jack Flax says always keep a gun loaded. Yeah, but Flack had the ingenuity and the context, kid. It's better than bullets sometimes. It's better than bullets sometimes. Come on, Morris. Give us something exciting, like cloak and dagger, only for real. Only for real.
what are you doing? Now what are you doing? I have ten times as many bullets as Jack Black. Uh, this is Jack Black requesting an assignment. Over. Time to go, Jack. Time to go, Jack. Black requesting an assignment. Over. This is Jack Black. This is Jack Black. Hi, friends. Vic Sage here with another installment of Why Should I Know This Person? And this time, we're shining the spotlight on Vladimir Sokolov. Vladimir Sokolov was born in 1889 in Moscow, Russia. I'm recording. I, I know. I'm sorry. But um, I think he wants you to talk about the 1980 Cloak and Dagger. Oh, not the 1946 Cloak and Dagger? Oh, that makes more sense. Oh, crud. Okay. This has been a Rush Wars production. Goodbye.